put it on his beard and he and it ran down. So we're just going to put this on before the Lord and we're going to go to him in prayer. And if, if you would join me and I'm just going to read the names and not the situations. And I hope that I've I've gotten everyone. And if uh, if not, I apologize. But I got chicken scratches everywhere. And Father, we we humbly bow before your presence this day. Father, we love you. We honor you. We so much want to have fellowship and to worship with you. And so, Father, our hearts are here today because we're seeking your face and we're seeking your help and we and we want to be with you and to worship you. And so, Father, we we pray for this great land and for its healing. Yesterday was just only the beginning. We want to keep it going, Father. We want this nation to be a land that is bright for you. A land that our children and our grandchildren and our children's children can live peacefully, live to worship you in freedom and in truth. And Father, we pray, even though we don't deserve it, we pray your blessing upon us. Because of who and what you are and not because of who and what we are. And Father, right now with humble heart, this body of Christ is hurting. There is a lot of people who bring a lot of things in here with them. And Father, I know I can feel it in my spirit that there's a lot of unmentioned things. There's a lot of people who have hurt. They've got not... Not just physical pain and illness and hurt, but they've got spiritual, they've got emotional, they've got pain that can't be understood. But yet, sometimes we're afraid to let that out publicly, Father. So at this moment, I want to take a chance to remember them. That right now, everyone who has a prayer on their heart to also offer that up to you. And that, Father, may... May our prayers and our words be acceptable in thy sight and turn not your ear away from us as we ask for forgiveness of sins and trespasses and that you might hear our prayer. Father, be with those who are hurting. Be with this body of Christ and and heal and cleanse our Father. Be with those who of our family and our loved ones and our friends that don't know you yet. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work upon their heart, Father, and open it up to the message of life, to the one who is the only way, the truth, and the life, that they would know your Son, Jesus. And Father, for all of those who have been mentioned this morning, for Phil and Dave, Mary Jane and Josh, for Penny and Levi, for Susie, for Michelle and Roger and Wanda, For Kathy, Jim, Penny, Levi, Doris, Tanya, Vanessa, Pam, for Ron Adkison and Dave and Susie Ferguson, for Linda, for Skyler, for Sherry and Vanessa, Jerry, for a young man named Charlie who's at Riley and not doing well with this chemo. And for everyone else, Father, we just pray humbly at this time that you be with them and that you 
cover them with your hand and with your love and with your presence. Father, anoint their life and protect them. Protect this body of Christ. Pray, Father, for that we be one with you in spirit and in unity and the bond of peace. Father, may we be like a light set upon the hill. We thank you for what you're about to do in each and every one of these folks' life, Father. Pray for their, their healing, both physical, mental, and spiritual. And your blessings to be poured out upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Whew, last week we began looking at some things. And I want to continue that today. I want to, I want to, I want to get the whole message out there. And uh, uh, some of the things, and to bring those who weren't here up to speed a little bit, we talked about the one thing that was necessary in life, and that's the intake of the Word of God. We, we, we've got to have a frame of reference in our mind and in our heart of what we do. So as we take it in, it needs to be cycled up into here so that then it can be used as that frame of reference and we're going to for life. And we're going to see that in Daniel here in a moment. Um, I, know, I know one guy uh, long ago who, who had a saying. He said, no Bible, no breakfast. And, and he's like, spiritual food is so much more important than physical. And if I don't have Bible, I don't have breakfast. I'm, I'm going to get the Word of God in first. We noted how that God works on a set of principles of His holiness and His righteousness and His grace. And how that there were, we saw that there was blessings and cursings and five cycles of discipline to bring God's people, like a father who, who has to discipline his child, to, to, he knows what's good for him, so he has to bring them back so that they don't harm themselves. And so God does that, and he desperately does not want us to get into stages four and five, which leads to the nation being taken over by someone else. And in the fifth cycle, it's like what happened to Jerusalem in Daniel's time and in the time of Christ when they tore down the temples and the people were dispersed and the nation was gone. And we don't want that. And we saw that uh, in Ezekiel that God said that a nation that persistently, that a land, the land, the people of the land, that persistently is unfaithful to me, I must, from justice and righteousness standpoint, I must stretch out my hand against it. And he didn't say Israel. He didn't say just that. He says when a land does. And you know what that means? He's talking about everyone. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't his people Israel. But they still was under this law of God. Because God's laws, like of marriage and things, goes to Christian and non-Christian alike. It went to Jew and non-Jew and Gentile alike. So there are universal things from God that are out there. And so, and we saw in the nations of the Middle East, here's, here's kind of a new one for you, because we're going to uh, talk about this one. In Genesis 15, you know, God made a promise to Abraham that I'm going to bless your people. Through you, it'll be like the sands of the sea, and you will be a mighty nation. But there's going to be a time period where you're going to go into captivity over in Egypt, and you're going to be there for 400 years. 
And why was it 400 years? Look at what verse 16 says in Genesis 15. Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You see, God has set times and set limits. And he tries to warn you from those limits. But when the limits get crossed, when the land crosses a certain point, a tipping point, then God's hand gets initiated. And he says, it's going to take 400 more years for my patience to wear thin against the Amorites of the nation. And then I'm going to have to go and and, uh, take care of the problem. And that's when I'm going to send you into the land. And so whenever they've came now out of Egypt, and in Deuteronomy 18, Moses is talking with them. And he says in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 18, he said, when you come into the land which the Lord God is giving you, You will not learn to follow the abominations. And I want you to think about abominations as we go through this. You will not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, a child sacrifice, or one who practices witchcraft, or the soothsayer, or one who interprets omens and dreams, or a sorcerer, or those who conjure spells or mediums or spiritualists, or ones who calls up to dead. For all who do those things are abomination to the Lord. And because, now here's the key, once the nation is turned to that way, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is now driving them out before you. That's the stretching forth of the hand. And then in Leviticus 18 and 20, in your study this week, it even goes deeper into these things. I'm just scratching surfaces. Leviticus 18, though, in 24 and 28 says, don't defile yourselves. You see, the the key word in Daniel today for us is Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself before his God. And so here's Moses giving this message to his people Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all of these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you, for the land is defiled. And therefore, because the land has given itself over to this, I am casting them out before you, and the punishment of that iniquity is upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You, therefore, keep my statutes and judgments and not commit any of the abominations, either of your own nation or a stranger that dwells among you. For all the abominations of the men and the land that were done before you makes it defiled, lest the land vomit you out also if you defile it. So we can see how that this is pretty serious before God, that He doesn't want us to walk in the ways of the world and to take those things on. So he kept talking about abominations. Well, I thought sin was sin. Yeah, sin is sin. But there's categories that ratchet up a little bit. And abomination is a category, a couple ratchets up from normal that you don't want to get into. And and what's an abomination? An abomination are those things that speak directly against God's divine ordained order of things. His creation and the marriage union and who you are, male and female, the way he created. 
Those things are eternal. They are natural. They are his design. And therefore, when the land goes into confusion, as the Bible says, it's when they try to go away from that. And it makes an abomination before God. He, he comes against the nations for abominations and not just sins. I mean, you can look at the life of David and see that. That it wasn't just for sins. He's talking about abominations that actually is a satanic driven rebellion, whether they know it or not, against the divine order of creation of God and who he is. So Leviticus 20 22 and 23, you shall therefore keep my statutes and perform them in the land where I'm bringing you that it doesn't vomit you out. That because those who commit these things I am casting out and I abhor them. That's, I don't want God to ever abhor us or the United States of America. So this is why we have to learn those things because when we offer up our children... And whenever we say that marriage isn't the sanctity of a man and a woman, and when we try to change who we are in our gender, then those things are abominations before God. But those are the things that the nation is trying at this time, a certain portion to make it acceptable. And individuals, you got the choice to do what you want. But the laws of the nation cannot tip to that point because then the Lord has to do it. God doesn't keep any of us. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. But the thing is, is that the abominations cannot be the national focus. And so that's that's the key here. And uh, so we're not to love this world because that's enmity with God. And so then... God said that, told him that, you know what, you're going to go into the land and you're going to do those things. And he told in Ezekiel chapter 13 and 14, which we, we came across, he talked about how that it's going to be so bad that even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could only save themselves from what's about to happen. And Daniel is their contemporary. And so now we've got to see what is happening. Daniel went to Ezekiel's Bible class and he knew him. And he said, this guy is an ace and you all have idols in your heart and you're not going to be able to take what's coming. You're going to be losers. But he's going to be a winner. So if we want to know how to be a winner in life, we have to follow the example of Daniel and begin to look uh, at what is his. So if you're there, go to chapter one with me of Daniel again. We introduced it last week and I want to get you into it this week and understand let's be a Daniel. And let's let's see what happens. I love... How Daniel purposed in his heart. And I've been wanting to teach this for several years. And I guess the time just came about now. So, so let's get in this. I hope that this encourages you. And I hope that it glorifies God with what we're about to, to say. So in, in Daniel chapter 1, quickly. We remember that there was a battle at Carchemish. The Egyptians were against the Babylonians. And they had, the Egyptians had brought some of their lions in these cages and they got there. And they backed them into a corner and turned the lions loose on them. And when they came, the, Egypt, or the Babylonians closed ranks, held out their spears and, and took on the onslaught. And that turned the lions away back to the Egyptians. And then the Babylonians began chasing them all away back to Egypt. But halfway back, 
they're driving along and they look over and it's like, oh, wow, there's a beautiful city on a hill. What's that? Nebuchadnezzar asked his people and they said, we don't know. So it said he sent a point over to them and they came back and said, that's Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. And he said, I want it. And so they arrayed in a battle formation around it and he sent a messenger in. And he said, I want you guys to submit unto our authority. We want this city and the things. If you don't, we're going to come at you. If you do, we will let you stay in your own rule, cycle four. Uh, but we, you will be underneath of us. They, the king gave the city over to them. And, and now as we begin to read chapter one, that's where we're at. And in chapter one and verse one, Daniel says that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So here's the king that was in charge. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. And notice that it was the Lord gave him over. And also the articles of the house of God. Now those things are going to play a key part later on with his grandson. But, and they carried all of those things to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles of God into the treasure house of his God. And then in verse 3, we start to see what's happening. The king instructed Ashpenaz. He was a master of the king's eunuchs. And he says, bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles into this unit. And the young men that are of no blemish, uh, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, they've got ability to be able to serve in my palace, in whom we might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's delicacies and of the wine in which he drank. And they were going to train them up for three years. And at the end of that time, they might be able to serve before the king. And now, from among those of the sons of Judah, there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And unfortunately, we don't know them by those names. We, only Daniel, the rest of them we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't we? And that's unfortunate because their given names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to these four, the chief of the eunuchs gave different names. Here's where the brainwashing begins. And he says to, um, to Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he called him Shadrach. To Mishael, he called him Meshach. And to Azariah, he gave the name Abednego. But, and here's our key verse, verse 8. But, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Man, let's take this apart. What's going on here? Let's, let's start to now get excited about Daniel. I know that introduction might not have been too exciting, but let's... Let's really get in here. What's going on with Daniel? Why does it say he purposed in his heart not to be defiled? Because if you remember, some of those verses we just had says, don't you be defiled with the things of this land. So why is Daniel purposing in his heart not to do that? Well, 
He's been taken into this land. Nebuchadnezzar takes charge. He's pillaged the temple. He's brought the young rulers of Israel into his kingdom. And he says, these best ones, I want you to put up to learn them to serve me. And to do that, now this is important because if this nation ever faces a thing like this, the first thing that they do is to test to see who can be brainwashed. Who goes along with the system and who don't. And who don't go along with the system, usually it's not good for you. And so most people go along with the system, the new system, and they play it so that nothing happens to them. But I want you to see that if you're in God's will and you do the things of God, that God has a a plan for you. And he says, so they brought him in. They said, let's begin the brainwashing session. First of all, we're going to give them dainties and delicacies of the king's table and food. And we're going to change their names. And so Ashpenaz comes in and he begins to to give them these different things. And it says, we're going to do these things. And why do they do it? They want you to forget where you came from, who your God is. And they want you to understand the new culture that they want to put upon you. And they're going to say that you are empowered yourself by this. It's going to free you from the yoke of bondage of being under all that. And you can do what you want to do because you are empowered to do that. We're going to make you forget your history. You know they're trying to teach different things in history class now. They're trying to change everything. Why? They're pulling down things. Why? Because they want to change history. History is history. We've got to learn from history. We've got to learn from history not to do those things. But history is still history. But they're changing what it is. And they're taking it down to a deeper level. So now we get to verse 5. How are they going to do it? He appointed the daily provision of food from the king's delicacies. And from his pantry and his best wine which he drank. You see the brainwashing technique. You know... I want, to, I want to tell you something real quick. If you give back over to the world system and say, okay, I'm going to go along with it, I want you to know something. That God loves you. The world system doesn't. Darkness does not know how to love you and to care for you. It only knows how to use you. Point. Judas Iscariot. He spent three years walking with Jesus. Jesus still loved him. Jesus wanted the best for him. But you know what? He gave in to the world's system. And they enticed him with money. Oh, you do this. Give, us, give him over to us and we're going to give you how much? 30 pieces of silver we'll give you. You see? Oh, it looked like the leaders of the land was taking him in. Making him feel good. We might even promote you up. We're going to give you this money. And he says, okay, I'm going to follow the system. And so he does. And boy, those leaders and rulers are standing right beside of him as he goes up and he plants that Judas kiss on the cheek of our Lord, doesn't he, in the garden. And then you know what happens when they take the Lord away and he sees how, what they're doing. He begins to think, I have betrayed an innocent man. And he goes back to those same rulers who was treating him so good and giving him all that. And he says, hey, I want to give the money back. That was an innocent man and I shouldn't have done that. And you know what they told him? You remember? They said, what's that to us? (laughs) We don't care. 
What's that to us? You did it. It's done. We used you for what we needed of you and we turned you back. They let him go. He throws the money down in a panic and he runs out and he's so miserable instead of still turning to, the, to God in prayer, he goes out and he hangs himself. You see, the world's system does not care for you. It does not know how to love. That system does not. God is love. Not the world. So now Judas is sitting there hanging. He hanged himself in this field after he threw that back. Now I want you to look at what it says about in Acts 1. Because this isn't told in the Gospels. You've got to come here. But the world not only didn't love him then. Even as he hanged from that tree. The world still did not love him. They did not take him down off of that tree. And it says in, in verse 15 beginning. That in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. And there was about 120 of them. And he said men and brethren. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy spoke, be, spoke before by the mouth of David all the way back then concerning Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us. You see, God had, Jesus had accepted him into the group. He was numbered with us. God tried to bless him through that, but he wouldn't do it. He was, he was numbered with us. He obtained a part in our ministry. But now, there's been a field purchased with the wages of his iniquity. You see, they didn't want the blood money either, so they went and bought a field. where The field which he had hanged himself in, they used that money he threw back to buy that field. And it says that he falled headlong and burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their language, Achaldelma which is the field of blood. And it is written in the Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and no one live in it, and let another take his office. You see, the world's system didn't even care enough to remove him from that, and it came to where it rotted here, fell headlong then as that separated off, and then the boughs burst asunder. And all they did was say, well... No one's going to want to live here. Let's use his money by the field and it'll be desolate. But it fulfilled prophecy. But the thing for us to take from that is the world system will pander to you, but it does not love you. And it will use you, abuse you, and let you go. And so we want to be like Daniel. We don't want to be unprepared and fall into a trap. We want to be prepared. So that we do not. And to be ready for whenever things come. So. We want to be not earth dwellers. Do we? Those on Monday night. We learned. That we're not earth dwellers anymore. We're heavenly dwellers. We're dwellers of the kingdom. That, that Jesus. You remember when Jesus stood before Pilate. And they said. They say you're a king. Are you a king? And he said. I'm a king, but not of this world. If, if my kingdom was of this world, my, my people would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. And you know what? Our kingdom is no longer of this world. Our kingdom 
is the kingdom of heaven. And we're no longer earth dwellers. And so the saints want to number themselves with the word of God. So as not to be defiled. Just like what it says here about Daniel. And so Daniel and his three friends now in this brainwashing technique. They've been offered delicacies. I mean you're talking the things that's from the king's table. So we're talking filet mignons. You know we're talking all of the best. And we're talking the finest of the wines. And you know, away to a man's heart's what? That, that starts to win you over. And so you're smelling all this stuff and they're bringing it in. But Daniel begins to refuse. Daniel, it says, purposed in his heart. Now, you know what? That he wouldn't defile himself with this stuff. Well, what's that mean? Okay. Daniel tells the chief, he goes, No, I don't want any of that. Bring me some beans. Bring me vegetables and water. Are you kidding me? You're going to give up. Does you think that really matters that much? What you eat and it's from the king's table. Would it really matter that much to you? But Daniel says, I'm not going to, to do this. So I'm going to purpose in my heart not to be defiled. Why? Because he had a frame of reference. We've been talking about how the, the intake of the word of God forms that frame of reference in your mind. So that situations in life, you go by the word instead of. Well, I guess it's okay, and by feelings. So here's what Daniel's mind began to process. Okay, king's table. What might that consist of? And then he starts going back in, into the word, and it says, I'm going to purpose in my heart not to be defiled. Psalm 119 says, Blessed are the undefiled who walk in the law of God. How can a young man, and it's almost like he's speaking about Daniel himself right here. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. I will meditate upon your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. And I will not forget your word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that's what Daniel's been doing. Daniel's been purposing in his heart. He was taught as a young man by his parents. You know Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It says you're going to love my word. Whenever you're going to talk about it when you go in, when you walk by the way, when you sit down to eat, you're going to write it on your doorposts. My word will be there all the time. So he was taught by parents. Then the next thing he was taught by Ezekiel in that class. And so now he's got a frame of reference. And so now he gets down here to Deuteronomy 32. All of a sudden his mind's thinking from those days of studying. And in Deuteronomy 32, it says this. The Lord says, where are their gods in which they sought refuge? So where are you seeking your refuge at in a, in a time of trouble? Where are their gods? Because those people ate of the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let those gods that they've been serving rise up and help you and be your refuge if you forsake me. Because I am the God. There is no God besides me. So you begin to see the frame of reference. Now all of a sudden it's like delicacies of the king. They've offered their fat of their things to their God. But they kept the filet mignon for themselves to eat. They pour out a little bit of the wine as the drink offering to the God. 
But they, and they give it to king. Why? Because he wants to be like a God. And now they want you to be like a God and to partake of that. And they are changing your frame of reference. On, and it goes all the way back to who and what you worship. So now his brain begins to keep working. And he says, man, I can't, I can't do that stuff. And now it hits Psalm 141. And Psalm 141 says, what must I do? I got to set a guard over the door of my lips so that those things don't go in. And I'm not going to incline my heart to any evil thing. I'm not going to practice the wicked works of men who do iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Do you see the Holy Spirit putting the same words in places? They offered them the delicacies of the king's table. And David is warning them all through his psalms. Don't eat of the delicacies of the king's table. Do not let me eat. No, let me keep my eyes upon you, O Lord. In you I take refuge and not in their gods that they're trying to lead me to. Psalm 106, our descendants joined ourselves to Baal and Peor and they ate the sacrifices that had been made unto the dead. Did you know they, they did that too? And now they're trying to offer these things to Daniel. And he says, no, I am armed with a frame of reference of the word of God that says I'm not going to defile myself with the delicacies of the king's table nor of his wine that was poured out. So I've got a purpose in my heart. You see, when you've got to take a stand against something, you have to purpose it. If you don't purpose it, it's like that old, old country song. You remember, if you don't stand for something, you'll what? So you've got a purpose in your heart or you'll fall for anything. So Daniel says, I've got a purpose in my heart to do what the Lord tells me to do. So what about me? Would I have known all of this? Do I take that in so that I got a frame of reference to pull from in all these situations? That needs to be my goal, doesn't it? To try to know Bible, know breakfast, so that I become like Daniel to where I can know and purpose in my heart against these things so that I don't get defiled in the situations in my life. So he pulls Ashpenaz beside and he says, Hey man, don't let I, I don't want to be defiled. Don't don't bring the king's food to me. Bring the vegetables and the water to me and my friends here. And he says Ashpenaz is sitting there thinking, now, now, no, this guy is in the king's service. He's been given a direct order from Nebuchadnezzar. You feed him the things from my table and you brainwash them and you make sure that they begin to learn my culture and worship my gods and me because I'm a god. They're going to find that out in the next chapter when they set up a, 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 a statue in his image. So he says, change him. His ruler is now being asked by a boy from a foreign land, put your neck on the line for me and don't do what the king told you to do, but give me veggies and water. Let me ask you, if you're in Ashpenaz's situation, do you listen to a little Hebrew boy and put your neck on the line against the king? Mm -hmm. No, but he did. You know why? Because Daniel, by purposing in his heart, found favor in the sight of God. And when you find favor in the sight of God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he says, okay, 
I'm going to change the thinking of Ashpenaz. And so, and he gives a good word to Daniel and he says, tell him, test me. Try for 10 days. Give me the vegetables and the water for 10 days and see if we look a little peaked, if we look the worse for the wear, or if we don't look better than the guys who are eating from. And that way your neck's not on a line. Give us a short test. He won't know. And it says that Daniel found favor also in the sight through God's favor in Ashpenaz. And Ashpenaz agreed to try that for 10 days. And you know what it says? I hear all the time, I, I hear all the time that I can eat all the vegetables and water I want and never gain a pound, haven't you? It's not vegetables and water, all eat all you want. <laughs> well, this says that they ate the vegetables and drank the water and they got a little, a little more meaty. They had a glow to their skin. And the other guys were looking gaunt. So guess what ended up happening? <laughs> I'll bet everybody, because he don't want his neck on the line for people looking gaunt. I bet everybody started eating vegetables and water, don't you? But think about it. You think about the peer pressure. We saw last week that it was like 50 of the royalty that went into captivity. How many people are setting their heart for God and purposing? Four. Do you realize what happens from the other 40-some? The, the rising, the, the peer pressure that is happening because they no longer are getting the meat <laughs> if they did pull it away. You imagine when they said, give us this instead of that. It's like, smell this. Mm, ain't nothing like that. Oh, country boy and bacon, are you kidding me? And tomato sandwiches? No, I will not. I've purposed in my heart, I'm not going to defile myself. Give me the veggies and water. Because he had a frame of reference to go to. And so he fought peer pressure. He fought fear of what would happen in retaliation against the king and the culture. And he says, I got to purpose in my heart to do what I know that's right. And so praise God, he did. And he set an example for us. Others are saying, God don't mind, let's do it. He said, no, I'm purposing my heart. I will not eat the delicacies. They riding high on the hog, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said, no, we're going to not do that. And you know what? Those other folks who didn't purpose that way in their heart, their names aren't mentioned, are they? We only have the names of those who was mentioned in the word of God that lives and abides forever. We don't hear of all of the rest anywhere in here of the children of Judah and Israel that was taken into the captivity because their hearts weren't set right. And so their greatest thing was let's go along and we'll get promoted. But you learn from David that it's God who promotes and can take you from the sheep field to be king. And when God promotes you, you're promoted in safety and security. When you try to promote yourself, you're at the whims of the men and the women who have promoted you. And they can turn on you in a dime. And you don't believe that. Look at quarterbacks in the NFL. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. They go from being legends to they lose a game in the playoffs and they're getting booed and it's over. They will turn on you in a dime. But God won't. And God. Their names are written in the book of life. And so now, 
I know I'm being long-winded, but I've got to share some more stuff to you. They're trying to change their identity. They're going to give them new names. And they're changing the identity we're going to see you physically and spiritually. We're going to change who you are. We're going to make you like God's. What was it that uh, in the garden, when that serpent came up to Eve, and he said, eat of this fruit? She said, no. And she goes, no, God knows that in the day of you eat of it, you'll what? Be like, you'll be like God. You'll be like him and have the knowledge of good and evil. That's what they're trying to tempt him with here. Because watch this. And I, I want to tell you, there's many ways to change things. Did you know this? Here's one. I'll, I'll bet this, there might be some who know this, but this might be something new on your frame of reference of, of what the mind of God is like. Deuteronomy 22.5 says this. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all. What? For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 22.5, there's a new frame of reference for you. A man shall not put on the clothing of a woman. A woman shall not put on the clothing of a man. Why? Because it creates confusion. You are who you are. You are who God created you to be. And he, he uses that word abomination with all doesn't leave anyone out, whether it's in jest, whether it's in fun. He says, all who do this become an abomination to the Lord your God. That word abomination is also translated as morally disgusting, morally loathsome, morally detestable, and abhorrent to God. Now, let me ask you something. If God thinks that about clothing... What's he think about all of these people who are taking kids? I'm seeing it with kids as young as four, five, and six years old and taking them to get toxic chemicals of hormones to change who they are and cutting on them to permanently change something on a kid. What do you think God thinks about that in a nation when he says this about clothing? There's a frame of reference for us. So... They're going to try to do that now with Daniel and with Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. First way, theirs isn't totally at first a physical transition. It's a spiritual transition into something else. I want you to look at what their names really are because I've taught you in the past that names were transliterated but not translated. And so Daniel, Daniel means... God is judge, and that means God is fair and righteous, and I want God to be my judge. David, whenever he had sinned, they said, you've got three things. You can have the retribution of men, you can have this, or you can have the retribution of God. And he said, give me God, because God is a righteous judge. So, God, Daniel means God is judge. Hananiah means that the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who and what is the Lord, the basis of grace. And Azariah means the Lord is my help. So you see, you got, there's a reason why these four men are mentioned in the word of God and why these are their names. God wants us to know that I am your righteous judge. I, I am fair with you. I am your help. You need to know who and what I am because I am gracious and I am your help. 
And these young men have a heritage before the Lord. But our enemy wants to deceive and destroy that heritage and brainwash who we are. And then he says this, so they began to change their names. Not only they offer them these delicacies of the gods so that they are taking part with the gods of those things. But it says Daniel's name is changed from God as judge to Belteshazzar. And Belteshazzar means Baal's prince. That's the chief god of the pantheon. That's Zeus in the, in the Greek godage lineup. This is the chief god. So Daniel at the beginning was noticed to be the ace student. And so they tried to brainwash him and said, Oh, we're changing your name to the same one of, of, the, of, the, of our pantheon. You are our Belteshazzar. And then Hananiah, they changed to Shadrach. You know what Shadrach means? It means illuminated by the sun god. You're going to be like the sun god. You're kind of smart too. And your face is illuminated. And, and so we're going to change you to Shadrach. And then to uh, uh, Mishael, it's Meshach. See, here's where the other change comes in. You know what Meshach means? Venus, the goddess of love. So now, now we're changing your kind of identity of, of who you are. And instead of who and what is the Lord and the basis of grace, you're the goddess of love. And then it gets down to Azariah. And Azariah went from who and what is, uh, or, or uh, went to Abednego, which means the son of Nebo, who was the god of wisdom. So the same lie of Satan with Eve, that you will be like God. These Men are still feeding to them. You're going to be like God. You're going to eat of their food. You're going to be named after them. And that was the brainwashing. And that's why they had enough knowledge of the word of God. And belief in the promises of God to protect them. That they said we are going to purpose in our heart. Not to be defiled. And even when they offered all of these things. And hierarchy and promotion. They said no. We are going to serve the Lord our God. The true and living God. And we have purposed that. So what, what ends up happening? Verse 17. These four young men. God gave to them knowledge and skill. In all the literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. And when the king began to interview them. After that three years. There was none that were to be found. Like Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know why that's put there? It's to show that they remain true to God. How does God say their names back? His names. The names that God knows them by, not the names that they were known. Now, they're going to write the other names through here because that's the narrative. But the Holy Spirit's pointing that out. You stay true to God. God stays true to you. He gave them the things and protected them. And I want you to notice. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to rebel. And protest and do things against the king. They trusted in God. To make the change. And to protect them. And come what may. I am staying there. And they purposed that in their heart. So. As the praise team comes and returns. I hope that. This has been beneficial to you. I know it's not a real fun and flowery one, but this is probably one of the most important lessons to realize for our life and protection and for faith 
in this walk. That we need to be inspired to be like these four young men. To purpose in our hearts not to be defiled. It means we gobble up the word. No, no Bible, no breakfast. We store it in our hearts so that we might not sin. And then we use it as prepared believers. And God then uses us because he can use those and change the world through that. May we have the strength like them not to give in to peer pressure, to rulership, to things that are offered, to rewards, because our reward is in heaven. And before we go, I promised. I want to tell you about Leviticus chapter 16 before we go and before they do. Day of Atonement is tonight at 6. I want you to listen to what it says in the Word of God in Leviticus 16 about the Day of Atonement. It says this, Lord spake to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had offered that strange fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I appear there in the cloud upon the mercy seat. But thus shall Aaron come into the holy place. And he's going to come in with a young bullock for a sin offering. You know why? What was it that they built out there in the wilderness? And when they took all the gold, what did he put together? A golden calf. So why does Aaron offer up a bullock first for his sins? It's to remind you that the priesthood can make mistakes. And to remind him always to be holy before God and not go back to that. So he offers up a bullock for the sin offering first before him. And then after he does that, he's going to put on all white linen. He's going to put on the white linen of the, of the priesthood. The breeches, everything, the girdle. And his hat, it's all plain white. They are holy garments and he's going to wash his flesh. That's what we do as priests in baptism. We, we, we wash our flesh. We're baptized into Christ. We've got a new white robe that's put on. And he's going to take of the congregation of the children of Israel. Now it's for the people, for the people, for us. He's going to take two kids goats i wanted to have a couple of goats in here and I'll, I'll do that when we do the whole lesson on this and i'm going to bring some goats in <laughs> hope we put some diapers on them because i don't want to get it on the carpet or anything but you bring in two goats for a sin offering and aaron shall offer up the bullock for the sin offering and make atonement for himself and his house it begins with me and my house and then uh he's going to Bring the congregation together before the tabernacle and the door. And before the door that enters in. And they're going to have these two goats there. And he's going to cast a lot on these two goats. One lot is for the Lord. And one lot is for Azazel. We'll get into that at another time. In, in the King James Version they call it. And the New King James a scapegoat. You heard that? So you got a goat for the Lord. And you got a scapegoat. And Aaron will bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell. And that offers him for a sin offering. The Lord Jesus Christ was offered for our sin offering, wasn't he? So, he's offered up for the sin offering. But then on the other goat, which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, he shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement unto him. And that's a covering, an atonement. 
for the scapegoat. And he's going to be turned and released into the wilderness. And it's going to go on. And that, that goat's going to end up dying in the wilderness. And one day I'm going to share a, a real good lesson about this with you. And uncover what all this means. But for us to take to home tonight. For you to rest in assurance. I want you to know this. The one goat. The Lord died for our sins. And that made an atonement. The covering for us. That are alive. And it says. That Aaron would take his hands. And place it upon the head. Of that scapegoat. And confess. The sins of the nation. And the people. And they would take that goat out into the wilderness and turn it loose unto Azazel. <laughs> the Lord's forgiven our sins. The first goat that died, that was the sacrifice for sin. The goat that's alive and runs that way and stays in the wilderness is the removal of your guilt of sin. Far, far away. And it's placed upon Azazel, which is the evil one who brought sin into this world. So if you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, there's two goats that's on this day tonight. One took away your sin. And the other is so that you don't continue to worry about that sin. The guilt of sin goes away with it. You are no longer to feel guilty because you've been cleansed and you've been forgiven and that is given unto the one who brought sin unto this world. And he will be paying for that as well. So, Father, we're so thankful for your illustration of Daniel this day. May you help us to be like that because I don't know how strong I could be if I'm especially a young fellow and I'm taken away from my home and my parents and my people and my land and I'm taken into a strange place and they're threatening me and they're telling me to do these things I don't see how the young man did it except that he had the word of God mixed with faith and that became more real than his surroundings to him and he used that frame of reference continually trusting in the Lord and you continually showed him why he could put his trust in you. Father, we pray that we could be that way. We pray that we can have your word within us. We pray that we would be strong and bold in the face of different things that, that uh, approach us. That we do not give in. That we, that we do not fail you. We pray we can purpose in our heart. But Father, when we don't, we're so thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ. Who bore our sin upon him. On that cross. And then he was crucified outside the city. So that the guilt of that is outside of your holy city. We never bear the guilt of it either. The rest as we live. Let, us, let our minds never dwell on the guilt of things that's already been forgiven. And help us to understand that and to know that and to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.